Section 31 of What is Property? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Teddy. What is Property? An Inquiry into the Principle of Right and of Government by Pierre-Joseph Proudhon. Translated by Benjamin R. Tucker. Conclusion, Part 1. The results of the labour performed by this generation are divisible into two classes, between which it is important clearly to distinguish. The first class includes the products of the soil which belong to this first generation. In its usufructory capacity, augmented, improved, and refined by its labour and industry. These products consist either of objects of consumption or instruments of labour. It is clear that these products are the legitimate property of those who have created them by their activity. Second class. Not only has this generation created the products just mentioned, objects of consumption and instruments of labour, but it has also added to the original value of the soil by cultivation, by the erection of buildings, by all the labour producing permanent results which it has performed. This additional value evidently constitutes a product, a value created by the activity of the first generation, and if, by any means whatever, the ownership of this value be distributed among the members of society equitably, that is, in proportion to the labour which each has performed, each will legitimately possess the portion which he receives. He may then dispose of this legitimate and private property as he sees fit, exchange it, give it away, or transfer it, and no other individual or collection of other individuals, that is society, can lay any claim to these values. Thus, by the distribution of collective capital, to the use of which each associate, either in his own right or in right of his authors, has an imprescriptible and undivided title. There will be, in the phalanstery, as in the France of 1841, the poor and the rich, some men who, to live in luxury, have only, as Figaro says, to take the trouble to be born, and others for whom the fortune of life is but an opportunity for long-continued poverty, idlers with large incomes, and workers whose fortune is always in the future some privileged by birth and caste, and others pariahs whose sole civil and political rights are the right to labour and the right to land. For we must not be deceived. In the phalanstery everything will be as it is today, an object of property. Machines, inventions, thought, books, the products of art, of agriculture, and of industry, animals, houses, fences, vineyards, pastures, forests, fields, everything in short, except the uncultivated land. Now, would you like to know what uncultivated land is worth, according to the advocates of property? A square league hardly suffices for the support of a savage, says M. Charles Comte estimating the wretched subsistence of this savage at three hundred francs per year we find that the square league necessary to his life is relative to him faithfully represented by a rent of fifteen francs 
in france there are twenty-eight thousand square leagues the total rent of which by this estimate would be four hundred and twenty thousand francs which when divided among nearly thirty-four millions of people would give each an income of a centime and a quarter that is the new right which the great genius of fourier has invented in behalf of the french people and with which his first disciple hopes to reform the world i denounce m considerant to the proletariat if the theory of m considerant would at least really guarantee this property which he cherishes so jealously i might pardon him the flaws in his syllogism certainly the best one he ever made in his life but no that which m considerant takes for property is only a privilege of extra pay in fourier's system neither the created capital nor the increased value of the soil are divided and appropriated in any effective manner the instruments of labor whether created or not remain in the hands of the phalanx the pretended proprietor can touch only the income he is permitted neither to realize his share of the stock nor to possess it exclusively nor to administer it whatever it be the cashier throws him his dividend and then proprietor eat the whole if you can the system of fourier would not suit the proprietors since it takes away the most delightful feature of property the free disposition of one's goods it would please the communists no better since it involves unequal conditions it is repugnant to the friends of free association and equality in consequence of its tendency to wipe out human character and individuality by suppressing possession family and country the threefold expression of the human personality of all our active publicists none seem to me more fertile in resources richer in imagination more luxuriant and varied in style than m considerant nevertheless i doubt if he will undertake to re-establish his theory of property if he has this courage this is what i would say to him before writing a reply consider well your plan of action do not scour the country have recourse to none of your ordinary expedients no complaints of civilization no sarcasms upon equality no glorification of the phalanstery leave fourier and the departed in peace and endeavor only to readjust the pieces of your syllogism to this end you ought first to analyze closely each proposition of your adversary second to show the error either by a direct refutation or by proving the converse third to oppose argument to argument so that objection and reply meeting face to face the stronger may break down the weaker and shiver it to atoms by that method only can you boast of having conquered and compel me to regard you as an honest reasoner and a good artilleryman i should have no excuse for tarrying longer with these phalansterian crotchets if the obligation which i have imposed upon myself of making a clean sweep and the necessity of vindicating my dignity as a writer did not prevent me from passing in silence the reproach uttered against me by a correspondent of la phalange we have seen but lately says this journalist that m Proudhon, enthusiast as he has been for the science created by Fourier, is or will be an enthusiast for anything else whatsoever. 
If ever sectarians had the right to reproach another for changes in his beliefs, this right certainly does not belong to the disciples of Fourier, who are always so eager to administer the phalansterian baptism to the deserters of all parties. But why regard it as a crime, if they are sincere? Of what consequence is the constancy or inconstancy of an individual to the truth, which is always the same? It is better to enlighten men's minds than to teach them to be obstinate in their prejudices. Do we not know that man is frail and fickle, that his heart is full of delusions, and that his lips are a distillery of falsehood, omnis homo modax? Whether we will or no, we all serve for a time as instruments of this truth whose kingdom comes every day. God alone is immutable, because he is eternal. That is the reply which I, as a general rule, an honest man is entitled always to make, and which I ought perhaps to be content to offer as an excuse, for I am no better than my fathers. But in a century of doubt and apostasy like ours, when it is of importance to set the small and the weak an example of strength and honesty of utterance, I must not suffer my character as a public assailant of property to be dishonoured. I must render an account of my old opinions. Examining myself, therefore, upon this charge of Furism, and endeavouring to refresh my memory, I find that having been connected with the Furious in my studies and my friendships, it is possible that without knowing it I have been one of Fourier's partisans. Jerome Leland placed Napoleon and Jesus Christ in his catalogue of atheists. The Furists resemble this astronomer. If a man happens to find fault with the existing civilization, and to admit the truth of a few of their criticisms, they straightway enlist him, willy-nilly, in their school. Nevertheless, I do not deny that I have been a Furist, for since they say it, of course it must be so. But, sir, that of which my ex-associates are ignorant, and which doubtless will astonish you, is that I have been many other things. In religion, by turns, a Protestant, a Papist, an Arian, a Semi-Arian, a Manichaean, a Gnostic, an Adamite, even a Pre-Adamite, a Skeptic, a Pelagian, a Socian, an Anti-Trinitarian, and a Neo-Christian. In philosophy and politics, an Idealist, a pantheist, a platonist, a cartisan, an eclectic, a monarchist, an aristocrat, and a constitutionalist, a follower of Bebouf, and a communist. I have wandered through a whole encyclopedia of systems. Do you think it surprising, sir, that among them all I was, for a short time, a furist? Footnote. The Arians deny the divinity of Christ. The semi-Arians differ from the Arians only by a few subtle distinctions. M. Pierre Leroux, who regards Jesus as a man, but claims that the Spirit of God was infused into him, is a true semi-Arian. The Manichaeans admit two coexistent eternal principles, God and matter, spirit and flesh, light and darkness, good and evil. 
but unlike the phalansterians who pretend to reconcile the two the manichaeans make war upon matter and labor with all their might for the destruction of the flesh by condemning marriage and forbidding reproduction which does not prevent them however from indulging in all the carnal pleasures which the intensest lust can conceive of in this last particular the tendency of the furistic morality is quite manichaean the gnostics do not differ from the early christians as their name indicates they regarded themselves as inspired fourier who held peculiar ideas concerning the visions of somnambulists and who believed in the possibility of developing the magnetic power to such an extent as to enable us to commune with invisible beings might if he were living pass also for a gnostic the adamites attend mass entirely naked from motives of chastity jean-jacques rousseau who took the sleep of the senses for chastity and who saw in modesty only a refinement of pleasure inclined towards adamism i know such a sect whose members usually celebrate their mysteries in the costume of venus coming from the bath the preadamites believe that men existed before the first man i once met a preadamite true he was deaf and a furist the Pelagians deny grace and attribute all the merit of good works to liberty the furists who teach that man's nature and passions are good are reversed Pelagians. they give all to grace and nothing to liberty the Socinians, dias in all other aspects admit an original revelation many people are Socinians today who do not suspect it and who regard their opinions as new the neo-christians are those simpletons who admire christianity because it has produced bells and cathedrals base in soul corrupt in heart dissolute in mind and senses the neo-christians seek especially after the external form and admire religion as they love women for its physical beauty they believe in a coming revelation as well as a transfiguration of catholicism they will sing masses at the grand spectacle in the phalanstery End of footnote. for my part i am not at all surprised although at present i have no recollection of it one thing is sure that my superstition and credulity reached their height at the very period of my life which my critics reproachfully assign as the date of my furistic beliefs now i hold quite other views my mind no longer admits that which is demonstrated by syllogisms analogies or metaphors which are the methods of the phalanstery but demands a process of generalization and induction which excludes error of my past opinions i retain absolutely none i have acquired some knowledge i no longer believe i either know or i am ignorant in a word in seeking for the reason of things i saw that i was a rationalist undoubtedly it would have been simpler to begin where i have ended but then if such is the law of the human mind if all society for six thousand years has done nothing but fall into error 
if all mankind are still buried in the darkness of faith deceived by their prejudices and passions guided only by the instincts of their leaders if my accusers themselves are not free from sectarianism for they call themselves furious i am alone inexcusable for having in my inner self at this secret tribunal of my conscience begun anew the journey of our poor humanity i would by no means then deny my errors but sir that which distinguishes me from those who rush into print is the fact that though my thoughts have varied much my writings do not vary today even and on a multitude of questions i am beset by a thousand extravagant and contradictory opinions but my opinions i do not print for the public has nothing to do with them before addressing my fellow-men i wait until light breaks in upon the chaos of my ideas in order that what i may say may be not the whole truth no man can know that but nothing but the truth this singular disposition of my mind to first identify itself with a system in order to better understand it and then to reflect upon it in order to test its legitimacy is the very thing which disgusted me with fourier and ruined in my esteem the societary school to be a faithful furist in fact one must abandon his reason and accept everything from a master doctrine interpretation and application m considerant whose excessive intolerance anathematizes all who do not abide by his sovereign decisions has no other conception of furism has he not been appointed furor's vicar on earth and pope of a church which unfortunately for its apostles will never be of this world passive belief is the theological virtue of all sectarians especially of the furists now this is what happened to me while trying to demonstrate by argument the religion of which i had become a follower in studying fourier i suddenly perceived that by reasoning i was becoming incredulous that on each article of the creed my reason and my faith were at variance and that my six weeks labor was wholly lost i saw that the furists in spite of their inexhaustible gabble and their extravagant pretension to decide in all things were neither savants nor logicians nor even believers that they were scientific quacks who were led more by their self-love than their conscience to labor for the triumph of their sect and to whom all means were good that would reach that end i then understood why to the epicureans they promised women wine music and a sea of luxury to the rigorous maintenance of marriage purity of morals and temperance to laborers high wages to proprietors large incomes to philosophers solutions the secret of which fourier alone possessed to priests a costly religion and magnificent festivals to savants knowledge of an unimaginable nature to each indeed that which he most desired in the beginning this seemed to me droll in the end i regarded it as the height of impudence 
No, sir, no one yet knows of the foolishness and infamy which the Phalasterian system contains. That is a subject which I mean to treat as soon as I have balanced my accounts with property. Footnote. It should be understood that the above refers only to the moral and political doctrines of Fourier, doctrines which, like all philosophical and religious systems, have their root and raison d'etre existence in society itself, and for this reason deserve to be examined. The peculiar speculations of Fourier and his sect concerning cosmogony, geology, natural history, physiology, psychology, I leave to the attention of those who would think it their duty to seriously refute the fables of Bluebeard and the Ass's Skin. End of footnote. It is rumoured that the Furiists think of leaving France and going to the New World to found a phalanstery. When a house threatens to fall, the rats scamper away. That is because they are rats. Men do better, they rebuild it. Not long since, the St. Simeons, despairing of their country, which paid no heed to them, proudly shook the dust from their feet and started for the Orient to fight the battle of free women. Pride, wilfulness, mad selfishness, true charity, like true faith, does not worry, never despairs, it seeks neither its own glory nor its interest, nor empire. It does everything for all, speaks with indulgence to the reason and the will, and desires to conquer only by persuasion and sacrifice. Remain in France, Furius, if the progress of humanity is the only thing which you have at heart. There is more to do here than in the new world. Otherwise, go. You are nothing but liars and hypocrites. The foregoing statement by no means embraces all the political elements, all the opinions and tendencies which threaten the future of property, but it ought to satisfy anyone who knows how to classify facts and to deduce their law or the idea which governs them. Existing society seems abandoned to the demon of falsehood and discord, and it is this sad sight which grieves so deeply many distinguished minds who lived too long in a former age to be able to understand ours. Now, while the short-sighted spectator begins to despair of humanity, and distracted and cursing that of which he is ignorant, plunges into scepticism and fatalism the true observer certain of the spirit which governs the world seeks to comprehend and fathom providence the memoir on property published last year by the pensioner of the academy of besançon is simply a study of this nature the time has come for me to relate the history of this unlucky treatise which has already caused me so much chagrin and made me so unpopular but which was on my part so involuntary and unpremeditated that i would dare to affirm that there is not an economist not a philosopher not a jurist who is not a hundred times guiltier than i there is something so singular in the way in which I was led to attack property, that if, on hearing my sad story, you persist, sir, in your blame, I hope at least you will be forced to pity me. I never have pretended to be a great politician. Far from that, 
i always have felt that for controversies of a political nature the greatest aversion and if in my essay on property i have sometimes ridiculed our politicians believe sir that i was governed much less by my pride in the little that i know than by my vivid consciousness of their ignorance and excessive vanity relying more on providence than on man not suspecting at first that politics like every other science contained an absolute truth agreeing equally well with bessou and jean-jacques i accepted with a resignation my share of human misery and contented myself with praying to god for good deputies upright ministers and an honest king by taste as well as by discretion and lack of confidence in my powers i was slowly pursuing some commonplace studies in theology mingled with a little metaphysics when i suddenly fell upon the greatest problem that ever has occupied philosophical minds i mean the criterion of certainty those of my readers who are unacquainted with the philosophical terminology will be glad to be told in a few words what this criterion is which plays so great a part in my work the criterion of certainty according to the philosophers will be when discovered an infallible method of establishing the truth of an opinion a judgment a theory or a system in nearly the same way as gold is recognized by the touchstone as iron approaches the magnet or better still as we verify a mathematical operation by applying the proof time has hitherto served as a sort of criterion for society thus the primitive men having observed that they were not all equal in strength beauty and labor judged and rightly that certain ones among them were called by nature to the performance of simple and common functions but they concluded and this is where their error lay that these same individuals of duller intellect more restricted genius and weaker personality were predestined to serve the others that is to labor while the latter rested and to have no other will than theirs and from this idea of a natural subordination among men sprang domesticity which voluntarily accepted at first was imperceptibly converted into horrible slavery time making this error more palpable has brought about justice nations have learned at their own cost that the subjection of man to man is a false idea an erroneous theory pernicious alike to master and to slave and yet such a social system has stood several thousand years and has been defended by celebrated philosophers even today under somewhat mitigated forms sophists of every description uphold and extol it but experience is bringing it to an end time then is the criterion of societies thus looked at history is the demonstration of the errors of humanity by the argument reducto ad absurdum 
now the criterion sought for by metaphysicians would have the advantage of discriminating at once between the true and the false in every opinion so that in politics religion and morals for example the true and the useful being immediately recognized we should no longer need to await the sorrowful experience of time evidently such a secret would be death to the sophists that cursed brood who under different names excite the curiosity of nations and owing to the difficulty of separating the truth from the error in their artistically woven theories lead them into fatal ventures disturb their peace and fill them with such extraordinary prejudice up to this day the criterion of certainty remains a mystery this is owing to the multitude of criteria that have been successfully proposed some have taken for an absolute and definite criterion the testimony of the senses others intuition these evidence those argument m lemonis affirms that there is no other criterion than universal reason before him m de bonald thought he had discovered it in language quite recently m boucher has proposed morality and to harmonize them all the eclectics have said that it was absurd to seek for an absolute criterion since there were as many criteria as special orders of knowledge of all these hypotheses it may be observed that the testimony of the senses is not a criterion because the senses relating us only to phenomena furnish us with no ideas that intuition needs external confirmation or objective certainty that evidence requires proof and argument verification that universal reason has been wronged many a time that language serves equally well to express the true or the false that morality like all the rest needs demonstration and rule and finally that the eclectic idea is the least reasonable of all since it is of no use to say that there are several criteria if we cannot point out one i very much fear that it will be with the criterion as with the philosopher's stone that it will finally be abandoned not only as insolvable but as chimerical consequently i entertain no hopes of having found it nevertheless i am not sure that some one more skilful will not discover it be it as it may with regard to a criterion or criteria there are methods of demonstration which when applied to certain subjects may lead to the discovery of unknown truths bring to light relations hitherto unsuspected and lift a paradox to the highest degree of certainty in such a case it is not by its novelty nor even by its content that a system should be judged but by its method the critic then should follow the example of the supreme court which in the cases which come before it never examines the facts but only the form of procedure now what is the form of procedure a method i then looked to see what philosophy in the absence of a criterion had accomplished by the aid of special methods and i must say that i could not discover in spite of the loudly proclaimed pretensions of some that it had produced anything of real value and at last wearied with the philosophical twaddle i resolved to make a new search for the criterion 
i confess it to my shame this folly lasted for two years and i am not yet entirely rid of it it was like seeing a needle in a haystack i might have learned chinese or arabic in the time that i have lost in considering and reconsidering syllogisms in rising to the summit of an induction as to the top of a ladder in inserting a proposition between the horns of a dilemma in decomposing distinguishing separating denying affirming admitting as if i could pass abstractions through a sieve i selected justice as the subject matter of my experiments finally after a thousand decompositions recompositions and double compositions i found at the bottom of my analytical crucible not the criterion of certainty but a metaphysico-economico-political treatise whose conclusions were such that i did not care to present them in a more artistic or if you will more intelligible form the effect which this work produced upon all classes of minds gave me an idea of the spirit of our age and did not cause me to regret the prudent and scientific absurdity of my style how happens it to-day i am obliged to defend my intentions when my conduct bears the evident impress of such lofty morality you have read my work sir and you know the gist of my tedious and scholastic lucubrations considering the revolutions of humanity the vicissitudes of empires the transformations of property and the innumerable forms of justice and of right i asked are the evils which afflict us inherent in our condition as man or do they arise only from an error this inequality of fortunes which all admit to be the cause of society's embarrassments is it as some assert the effect of nature or in the division of the products of labour and the soil may there not have been some error in calculation does each labourer receive all that is due him and only that which is due him in short in the present conditions of labour wages and exchange is no one wronged are the accounts well kept is the social balance accurate then i commenced the most laborious investigation it was necessary to arrange informal notes to discuss contradictory titles to reply to capricious allegations to refute absurd pretensions and to describe fictitious debts dishonest transactions and fraudulent accounts in order to triumph over quibblers i had to deny the authority of custom to examine the arguments of legislators and to oppose science with science itself finally all these operations completed i had to give a judicial decision i therefore declared my hand upon my heart before god and men that the causes of social inequality are three in number one gratuitous appropriation of collective wealth two inequality in exchange three the right of profit or increase and since this threefold method of extortion is the very essence of the domain of property i denied the legitimacy of property and proclaimed its identity with robbery that is my only offence i have reasoned upon property i have searched for the criterion of justice i have demonstrated not the possibility but the necessity of equality of fortune i have allowed myself no attack upon persons no assault upon the government of which i more than any one else am a provisional 
adherent if i have sometimes used the word proprietor i have used it as the abstract name of a metaphysical being whose reality breathes in every individual not alone in a privileged few nevertheless i acknowledge for i wish my confession to be sincere that the general tone of my book has been bitterly censored they complain of an atmosphere of passion and invective unworthy of an honest man and quite out of place in the treatment of so grave a subject end of section thirty one conclusion part one